Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell the tale, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode number 38 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Crazy, crazy amount of podcast. Not in the grand scheme of podcasts, I know there are many with hundreds, hundreds of episodes out there, but for me, that's that's quite a lot as we edge ever closer to our one-year anniversary. that's We barely barely even passed the halfway point, and already I've done about the one year, but still, 38, it's pretty good going. And thank you, and it's all down to you, the listeners, for keeping us going this long. Thank you so much. If this is your first time listening, you're very welcome along. Thank you for joining the Fireside family. I hope you're here to stay. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much, as always, for your continued support. Please do continue to support us on Instagram at Fireside Bard, all one word, for every daily update on this podcast and for other other fun bits as well and if you really enjoyed this podcast you can like subscribe and leave ratings on itunes spotify wherever you get your podcasts those ratings and those comments those they really really do make a difference so each and every one is very very much appreciated thank you so much if you really love this podcast you can support us on patreon.com forward slash fireside bard any amount of is very much appreciated. We have will have just when this episode comes out, we will have just had our very first live show, the Fireside Sessions Beginnings. I'm not avoiding talking about it, but at the time we're about two weeks ahead of ourselves when we record this, just for safety's sake. And I don't like to be too much more ahead of myself than that, so that it's still quite present and up to date. But that means that I'm not avoiding talking about it. It just hasn't happened yet, but there's no point in plugging the plugging it more because this will come out after it'll be done. And that was barely sentences at all rambling there. So I'm gonna get right down to the story itself. No plugging necessary, no more. We are we have a really, really interesting, really cool story today that I wasn't expecting. And go away. Go away sound effects. I apologize for that. I really I was not expecting this wasn't a story I knew at all. And I was expecting this because we're continuing the historical cycle, the king cycle of Irish myths. And this was one that I just kind of was the next one that I was reading. And it ended up being probably my favorite one I've read so far for various reasons. It was quite unique for several reasons. And I hope you see them too. And I hope you enjoyed it. This is the tale of Mongon on Fireside. Mongon. There was a time, and a long time ago it was, that the northern Irish province of Ulster was ruled by two kings at the same time. 
Fiacra Finn and Fiacra Dove were cousins, and how they managed this seemingly impossible task of dual monarchy was by taking their rule in turns. While one cousin sat on the throne, the other roamed the world, gaining wisdom, as they like to call it, when in reality they were just consequence-free holidays. One year, Fiacra Finn took his ruling sabbatical in the frosty beauty of Scandinavia. Because he was a king himself, Fiacra Finn would always be welcome as a guest to the royal family. Unfortunately, when the Ulster King arrived, he found that the king of Scandinavia was incredibly unwell. There was a sickness on his majesty that no doctor or druid had any clue at all about. It was only when a decrepit and unrated seer finally got a crack at the king they got the cure. The king will only be cured by eating the meat of a cow with red ears. Wait, any cow with red ears? You just try and find one. So do you mean it's impossible? Like he'll be cured by eating a bear with no fur? Or a viking with no pillage? No, said the seer. He will be cured by the meat of the red-eared cow. I gave the answer. I give answers, not interpretations. While the royal family were still confused, Fiacra Finn, who was feeling awkward enough by being in the palace during such a personal time for the royal family, decided he would help. To thank them for their hospitality, Fiacra Finn said he would find a cow with red ears. This, of course, proved incredibly difficult. Turns out most cows don't have red ears. But Fiacra Finn was resolute, and he knew the king's time was limited, so he quickened and intensified his pursuit until eventually he came to a small wooden shack deep in a tall green glen, with a small pen to its side, scarcely big enough for a few hens, that had crammed into its four sides a cow with red ears. The bovine creature belonged to an old woman, who, when Fiacra Finn asked for the cow, replied, This cow is all I have in the world. You wouldn't rob an old woman of her only cow. I will give you one in return that is three times its size. I just need this specific one. She's my best friend. I'll give you four best friends. The old woman considered this. Fine, but I get to choose them. You have the word of the King of Ulster. Where's Ulster? Never mind. Fiacra Finn brought the red cow back to the King of Scandinavia and the old man was cured. A smugly satisfied Fiacra Finn returned to Ulster being owed a great debt by the Norsemen. A year later, a strange visitor came to Fiacra Finn when it was his turn to sit on the throne. It was the old woman. She was in tears. When the king of Scandinavia had returned to health, the old woman had gone to his court and asked him for her payment of four cows. She had been laughed at and thrown out of the castle. And now I travel all the way to Ulster to ask for the justice you promised me. I am so sorry to hear that, was Fiacrafin's response. You shall return home with forty cows to make up for this insult. Oh, no. Cows won't cut it this time. I want vengeance. The old woman wanted Fiacra Finn to go to war with the king of Scandinavia, and Fiacra had given her his word. He felt he didn't have a choice. And so the forces of Ulster were gathered, mustered, and sailed over to the northern kingdom. Unfortunately, this was the time of the Vikings, and Vikings were not just good at pillage and plunder. They were exceptional and terrifying warriors.
They were ready for the Ulster men and attacked them while still at sea. Fiacrafin knew the sea was the Vikings' forte, so he charged all his ships to aim for the shore. He thought if they could land, the tide, for lack of a better term, would turn. But there was an even greater horror waiting for the Ulster men, for those of them who managed to reach the shore. Truly a sight of nightmares that they thought they could not even have imagined. A flock of giant, rabid sheep. And if the thought of battle-thirsty, venomous sheep is amusing to you, try being surrounded and devoured by one. The Ulster men were indeed surrounded. They would not even make it off the beach. But as Fiacrafin was just about to close his eyes and accept death by sheep, he saw something emerge from the sea even more otherworldly than the woolly woes. It was a man on horseback with a green cloak and a crown of gold, but he was not of this world. The horse was galloping on the waves, the waves that galloped like horses themselves. The figure halted in front of Fiacrafin and said, King of Ulster, I will even the odds for you and slay this flock if you give me in return whatever I wish. Who are you? I am Manonin Maclear, god of the sea. Then yes, anything. Very well, but just so you know, I'm going to sleep with your wife for one night, and she will bear me a son. But you have honour, as does she, so I will do it in your form, so that she may never know, and your marriage may be protected. I'm just that kind of guy. And without waiting to hear Fiacrafin's futile thoughts on this proposal, Manon and MacLear took from his cloak a great Irish wolfhound, which, like a ferocious untrained collie, tore that flock of sheep to pieces in a haze of blood and wool. When the odds had evened, the Ulstermen stormed Scandinavia and won the day. None of the royal family were killed, and Fiacrafin told them they could keep their rule, but the old woman who had been wronged was given seven castles and two hundred cows as payment. Lots of room for all her new best friends. By the time Fiacrafin returned from Scandinavia, his wife was already pregnant. Of course she never knew that it was not her husband's child, and Fiacrafin had spared her that hurt. But when the child was born, it was covered in hair. The hairy baby was named Mungon, which means the hairy one. As it happened, on the same day as Mungon, there were two other babies born, one to Fiacrafin's most loyal manservant and a girl to Fiacradov, cousin and co-monarch of Fiacrafin. The two boys were bound together that they would always be like brothers and protect each other, and Mungon was betrothed to the daughter of Fiacradov. You've got to keep those bloodlines pure, I guess. But it wasn't long before the hairy baby maker, Manolin MacLear, came to claim his child. He broke the truth to the baby's mother that he had violated her and her marriage and that he was taking his son to the land of promise. This child will be raised in Tirnanog. There he will learn all the wisdom, magic and power he could never hear in the mortal world. With no choice, Manonin took Mangan to the world of the Tua de Danon and raised the child as the son of a god he was. Manonin's great talent was as a shapeshifter, and he passed that on to Mangan. He also taught him everything and more he would need to be a king in his own right. 
When Mangan was sixteen, it was time for him to return to the mortal world and bring with him all he had learned in Tirnanog. But when he arrived home to Ulster, Mungan found that Fiacredov had finally gotten fed up of sharing his throne and had treacherously killed Fiacrofin. The latter may not have been Mungan's natural father, but he was his mother's husband, and so he felt the weight of this treachery. When Mungan arrived at the sole court of Fiacredov, the king was shocked at the hairy baby's return. Mungan had since groomed his hair. Mungan demanded retribution for Fiacrofin's death. Feeling remorse and fear at what Mungan may have learned in the Land of Promise, Fiacredov offered Mungan the same arrangement he had had with Fiacrofin, to share the throne. And maybe it was the fact that this offer was so overwhelmingly easy, but Mungan accepted. Fulfilling the promise he had made to him as a baby, Fiacredov offered Mungan the hand of his daughter in marriage. The girl was named Dovlaka, and not only were she and Mungan wed, but the son of Fiacrofin's manservant, and indeed now Mungan's manservant come best friend, was wed to Dovlaka's handmaiden, and wrapped up in a neat little package, the four seemed ready to live happily ever after. But of course, that's not even how fairy tales and legends really go. Soon after, Mungan went for a stroll on a nearby beach with his own mother. On a long stretch of an evening, on one of those rare, clear and warm days of the Irish year, mother and child walked along the shore, paddling, and skimming the occasional stone. But when Mungan picked up a certain stone, he had a sudden prophetic vision. This was not something the king was used to. He had learned many magical skills in Tirnanog, but prophecy was not one of them. Regardless, the stone gave Mungan a sudden wave that told him that this very stone he held in his hand would be what would one day kill him. Mungan's mother wasn't having any of that. Despite everything she had seen, it is still very hard to come to terms with a prophecy when it concerns the vague but absurdly specific demise of your own son. So the king's mother summoned Manon and MacLear. God or not, and no matter whose form he had been in, Manonin had slept with her without her knowing. Yes, he had given her a son whom she adored, but still. So she felt the god of the sea should be at her beck and call, which she usually was. So the king's mother summoned Manonin MacLear, and on a wave of horses and a horse of waves, Manonin appeared. What can I do for you? Throw this rock as far and as deep as you can. Are you serious? You called me here to throw a stone. It's not just any stone. This stone is going to kill our son. Mungan has had a vision. Okay, that's different. I can't change fate, but I can put this stone in a place that Mungan would have to drain the entire ocean to be harmed by. And Manonid took the stone, and with barely a flick of his wrist, flicked the stone so far and fast, it set fire to the water as it cut across it, like spilled crude oil aflame. The stone hit the deepest part of the ocean floor with such force it caused a continental shift. Rather pleased with himself, the sea god then turned to his son. Just as well I was called here, because I want a word with you. What is it? puzzled Mungan. Well, congratulations on winning your throne. Half a throne, that is. How can you share rule with the man who murdered your father? You're my father. Why should you or I care about Fiacre Finn? He was your mother's husband and never broke an honourable word. If you want to even be a sliver of the king he was, he must be avenged. I can't just commit regicide. 
You can't if you're already king. Fiacradov did, didn't he? It had always bothered Mungon to share the throne with Fiacrafin's murderer, but he was also his beloved Dovlaka's father. But Manonin was right. Without any deception or planning, because what guard would even stop him, Mungon walked into the throne room where Fiacradov sat, unsheathed his sword, and cut the old man's head off. And no one, not even his wife, questioned a thing. Justice had been served, and there was now one ruler of Ulster, the way it was supposed to be. But the final part of Mungon's story is, shortly after becoming king, he decided he would take a tour of the entire island of Era, so that he might know it better. After all, he had spent all of his youth in the world of the Tua de Danon. In the east, Mungon stayed with Brandov, the king of Leinster. Brandov had a mighty herd of beautiful white cattle, each with red ears. Mungon had always been enthralled by the tales of Fiacra Finn in Scandinavia and his pursuit of the white cow with red ears. But something came over Mungon that he decided he must have them. He asked Brandov what he would ask in return for this herd. You may have my cattle if you promise that Ulster and Leinster will be friends, that you shall not refuse me should I ask of you. Of course, Mungan thought Brandov was talking about war or money, so he hastily agreed to Brandov's suspiciously worded terms. Naturally, a few months later, Brandov came to visit Ulster and asked for the hand of Mungan's wife in marriage. The king and queen thought this was a joke, but Brandov assured them it wasn't, and that they dare not refuse. Your honour is at stake here, Mungan. You are the successor of one honourable king and one treacherous king. In whose path will you choose to follow? That was no question at all. Mungon had to give up his beloved Dovlaka. The queen was understandably outraged. A load of good all those years in the land of promise did for you, didn't they, you fool? You've learned how to shapeshift and fight and party, but you didn't learn one lick of wisdom. Killing my father is one thing, but now you've traded me like livestock. For literal livestock. Mungon tried to assure his wife. I will spend the rest of my life apologising for this, but I will make this right. Before you are married, I will find a way. The parallels between the ploy played by his father, Mananen, and with his foster father, Fiacra Finn, were not lost on Mungon. So the king tried to think of the rest of the story of Fiacra Finn for inspiration. He thought of the old woman, the hag, as she had been frequently called in the stories. He thought she surely couldn't still be alive, but then again... Old hags never died. So Mungon travelled to Scandinavia and searched for the seven castles and two hundred livestock he had heard the story of. Eventually, like after an ancient Scandinavian version of Super Mario Brothers, in the seventh castle Mungon found, no, not the princess, but the old woman, still alive and well and surrounded by cattle. Mungon told her who he was and who his foster father had been. Your father risked it all for me, for his honour. I can never repay that favour to him. You have a chance to with me. Return with me to Era and help me right this wrong by getting my wife back. I'll do what I can, but what help can an old woman be? Oh, you won't look old when I'm through with you. Of all the skills and talents Manonin had passed down to his son, shapeshifting was what Mungan excelled at the most. That extended to other people, too. The king transformed the old hag into a young, radiant beauty. 
He kept that Scandinavian perfection with some Irish enchantment for good measure. The next day, Mungan arrived in Leinster for the wedding of Brandov and Dovlaka with this Nordic Valkyrie on his arm. When the fickle and shallow Brandov saw this creature, he fell hard and fast and forgot all about the woman he was meant to be marrying any second now. The king of Leinster ran to Mungan and asked who this girl was. This is my daughter. Isn't she lovely? Yes, she is. I must marry her. You're already marrying my wife. You can't have my daughter, too. Take back your wife. Uh, uh, she should be with you anyway, said Dovlaka in an astonishingly sudden wave of consideration for Mungon. Oh, I don't know. The King of Ulster pretended to hum and haw until he eventually agreed. Dovlaka and Mungon were reunited, and Brandov was married to their <coughs> daughter. The next morning, Mungon and Dovlaka waited in the castle of Leinster just long enough to hear Brandov's wails of horror as he woke up in bed next to a 150-year-old woman, give or take a few months. "'I don't know what you're hollering about,' the hag said. "'You're nothing to melt over either. I'd still much rather the company of me cows in me Scandinavian castles.' So the old woman returned home, as did the reunited king and queen of Ulster leaving Brandov with trust and intimacy issues he would never resolve. And when Mungon's time of death did come, the stone returned and clocked him right between the eyes. No one knows who threw it, although a lot claim it was an Englishman. They actually do. His father, Manonin, took him back to the land of promise, where Mungon still lives as the god of shapeshifters. To be continued. And there we have the story of Mungon on Fireside. A very difficult word to say when you have a blocked up nose, as I do at the moment from summer allergies, which I am finally starting to get resolved. But I had a bit of a dose of it this morning. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I just really liked this one. There was some genuine surprises in it. These characters felt a bit more real. There's been... Because in the King Cycle, there's there's just been a natural progression and some similar elements. There's been different paths to the throne, but it's all been fairly uh, the same structure of this is how they became king and here's another story about them. But here, first of all, Manon and MacLear has appeared more and more in more recent stories. And this is definitely his biggest his biggest role and strongest part and indeed like that's what makes Mungan as well that like he passes on these these powers to him of shape-shifting and it's it seems like almost a reverse of of st- some stories we've had where he's returning from this there's always a return you know like they're always the kings are always raised in some other land it's just i suppose it's how it begins this this story of scandinavia is wonderful of fiacrafin mungon's father this idea of this dual rule and that the year on year off and when they're on the year off they travel around the world i love that and the story of this hag in uh, or this old woman in scandinavia and her being wronged this was actually one i ended up not changing a huge amount, but I, I did a lot of stitching here for various reasons. I tried to tie it back together a little bit more. Most significantly, at the end, when Mungon is uh, 
He's trying to figure out how to get the wife back. It's just a random old woman, he asks. But I loved the idea of tying it right back to the beginning and going to try and going to Scandinavia and going back to try and find that one old woman again. And just to realize the parallels. I liked this idea of him having heard the stories of her king. Again, the presence of the stories in the stories. I quite liked as well the bell pup king of Leinster stealing his wife because you have Manon and himself in this very problematic scenario in a contemporary sense like there is a lot particularly in Greek mythology most of all with Zeus you have Zeus uh, inhabiting the various different cows and stuff and uh, and sleeping with women against their will for a lot of the case or deceiving them sometimes it is like they do want but they think it's with someone else or something else which is obviously incredibly problematic to talk about from a contemporary sense and you have Manon and very much staying in the lives then of of these people of Mangan it just presented a very interesting complex relationship that he has this foster father and this father and the foster father he never actually really knows but it's him who he inherits the throne from after being raised by his actual father it's strange you have a lot of offspring of gods throughout mythology but very rarely are they literally raised by them we have Mangan is literally raised by Manon and he doesn't raise him from a distance or he just doesn't discover like after he's elected king that he is of this lineage it is he is literally raised by his father as an actual son and yet still has this bizarre situation happen to him where he is tricked in very much the same way that his own father tricked his foster father to which led to his birth. It is just that name Mangan, which is so difficult to say, that kept crop cropping up and I'm thinking that's gonna it's not even difficult to say, it's just your your face has to make a very very at the front, very nasal sounding, which when you're blocked up as I say is not a fun experience to say. But there was there's so much in that which I hope you see and I hope you enjoyed as well. I must just comment before we go. A few people have sent me messages uh, over the months. Um, I, 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 an inspiration for this podcast, a very unconscious inspiration, I would say. I can't even call it because I haven't even. I've only just started. Re- I've just started reading the Terry Pratchett Discworld books. I, I'm a massive fantasy fan and a massive comedy fan, so I always knew that this world of comic fantasy that Terry Pratchett creates in his Discworld books, which are immensely influenced by folklore and mythology and different different sources for that, I always knew that they would very much be a big influence on this podcast if I ever did read them, but I hadn't because I like to think that I approach these these stories very much with a with a comic sensibility i was approached them with some sense of hilarity and some comment on them and very much a kind of knowing narrator which is very much what terry pratchett is the master master of and i'm a couple into them now i've read guards guards and i'm halfway through mort and they are absolutely wonderful i am just learning so much i could just um, the a master of language and creating incredible worlds and Creating incredible worlds, but with always this incredibly human sense of um, this incredibly human sense of 
and comic sensibility throughout. They are, they are truly, truly hilarious, hilarious books. And I can't wait to read them more. And you should absolutely go out and read some, if you haven't already, the Discworld novels. But I'm going to wrap up there because I've run out of my session time now. But thank you so much for listening. If it was your first time, please uh, do go back to the beginning and see what we've been building up to now. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much as always. Follow us on Instagram at Fireside Bard, Fireside Bard, all one word. And thank you so much to Jamie, my producer, to everyone here at Head Stuff. And I will see you all next time. You will hear me all next time. And the Fireside. Thank you very much and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.